next Sunday. Uh, the other quick announcement is that uh, is with regards to the RSVPs, um, I, I'm thankful for everybody who continues to RSVP each week, and I know that some of you have kind of said that, um, you know, that, uh, just put me in for every single week. Uh, whichever camp you fall in, I'm thankful for it, uh, but at the same time, I just want to make you all aware that uh, or, or remind you that if, you, if for whatever reason uh, you are not able to make it, uh, for a Sunday that you have RSVP'd for uh, to let us know ahead of time so then that way uh, we can figure out the seating arrangements that will be helpful for Marissa and for Eric. So please make sure that uh, you're good about that. And then the other quick announcement is that just want to remind you that uh, on the, uh, the not ne next Sunday but the following one, the 22nd, um, is the uh, congregational meeting. We'll be uh, uh, hopefully uh, voting for and approving for the 2021 budget. And an email will go out today with those uh, finance uh, documents for you to look at. Um, and we'll have some available as well, some hard copies if you need it. And we're also going to be uh, taking some nominations for deacons uh, as well. So included in that paperwork and that email, you'll see that as well. And so uh, please be on the lookout for that. If you have any questions at all, please, uh, please uh, let uh, Jay and myself know uh, ahead of time. We want to, uh, we don't want to spend too much time together during that meeting as we're wearing masks and trying to keep uh, six feet apart. Uh, so we are open to questions and some discussion, but trying to, uh, to limit that time uh, for your sake uh, with, with wearing masks and everything. So if you have any questions, please uh, let us know ahead of time so we can answer those questions. So, so the questions or the uh, announcements I have, uh, let's go to the Lord and just to uh, prepare our hearts to worship him. Please stand for our call to worship. This morning, we're going to do something a little different this morning. We're going to do a bit of call and response. So you will read the underlined portions with me as I go through. And this comes from 1 Chronicles 16. We begin in verse 8. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. O offspring of Israel, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord, our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Remember his covenant forever the word that he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying to you, I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. When you were few in number of little account and sojourners in it, wandering from nation to nation, from kingdom to, to another people. He allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account, saying, Touch not my anointed ones. Do my prophets no harm. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And he is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, 
but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the fields exult and everything in it. Then shall the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Say also, Save us, O God of our salvation, and gather and deliver us from among the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Then all the people said, Amen, and praised the Lord. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, O oh my soul, worship his holy name. Sing like never before, O oh my soul, I worship your holy name. The sun comes up. The sun comes up, it's a new day dawning. It's time to sing your song again. Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, let me be singing when the evening comes. So bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship his holy name. Sing like never before, oh my soul, I worship your holy name. Your in love and you're slow to anger. Your name is great and your heart is kind. For all your goodness I will keep on singing. Ten thousand reasons for my heart to find.
let's go back to verse 3. Now, Lord, I would be yours alone, and there's so Now, normally we would, after, uh, after this, we normally would transition to a time of uh, prayer, but uh, changing things up a little bit this morning, and we're going to spend some time in prayer, uh, merely following uh, the sermon, and then conclude with uh, two last songs. Uh, but I, what I will do now is just open us up in a word of prayer, and then read our passage for this morning, and then just get into the sermon. So if you would, please, uh, would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for loving us first, because apart from that love, we would have never loved you on our own. And even though we were rebels, that we were sinners running away from God, yet you loved us and called us to yourself and you ransomed us. You showed us an incredible, incredible love. We thank you, for Jesus, for this love that we never could have earned on our own, this love that could never be purchased. But in your sovereign grace, you have loved us, and you drew us to yourself, and you saved us. We thank you for the opportunity to, to sing these wonderful truths by which we can glorify you. We thank you for the opportunity to open up your word, and we pray that you may speak to us. We pray that, that you may use these, these, these words that I think are hastily put together to, to speak to your people, to encourage your people. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. So if you would, please 
Uh, open up to Genesis chapter 22. I'll be reading verses 1 through 8. Genesis 22, verses 1 through 8. And I'll come back to this passage towards the end of the sermon. Hopefully, I, I think it's my intention that, by, that at the end of the sermon, when I read this passage again, that it'll make sense why this is the passage that we are opening to this morning. Genesis 22, verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with a donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So last week we started a series on the church. What is the church? What is the purpose of the church? What does the church do? And I, last week was sort of the, uh, the, the first sermon uh, in this series on the church, and I didn't finish that sermon, and that was my intention to finish that sermon today. But uh, in light of recent events uh, that I'm, I know you, most of you are, at least most of you are aware of what I'm talking about, uh, I felt uh, compelled to preach a different sermon this morning. So it's not my intention to be inconsistent, uh, and hence why you won't find a bulletin insert uh, with the sermon notes this morning, because uh, I called an audible uh, last night. Um, and thankfully, uh, the media crew was gracious <laughs> to work with me. Um, so, so yeah, so I, I felt compelled to sort of uh, change things up and preach on a different topic this morning. Because as you all know, um, I, I, yes, I, I think you do, uh, or, or you should if you don't, but maybe this won't be, hopefully this won't be a newsflash to you, but uh, that uh, it's been uh, declared that uh, Joe Biden will be the 46th president of the United States. And I know that this is uh, something that's kind of far from over. And the uh, you know, and current president, uh, Donald Trump, is uh, not conceding without a fight. And so we have no idea what the outcome will be like. Uh, but so far, it's been declared that Joe Biden will be our 46th president. And uh, the reason I felt so compelled to kind of switch things up and preach on a different topic this morning is because, well... Uh, this election has been just defined by so much confusion, especially amongst Christians, uh, where you have Christians who fall into two different camps and even just uh, letting these things kind of bring us to disunity. Um, and I think more so now, perhaps, now that a president has been declared. And for some, perhaps for some of you, you might be 
uh, still all the more confused, right? I mean, and even just leading up to uh, the ballots, right? Do you uh, vote for a candidate who doesn't have a very good character or who has uh, a lot of character flaws? And while many might say that he is a Christian, shows in his life that he uh, actually may not actually be a Christian, or do you vote for a guy who has a good character but is, is promoting... Um, at least in my opinion, promoting things that are uh, inconsistent and promoting ideologies that are inconsistent with Christian values. And so um, Christians are divided on these issues, and I think more so now. And for some of you, you might be angry, uh, frustrated. Some of you might be anxious. Some of you might even just be afraid of just what the next four years may look like if things continue in the way that they are expected to go. And so... This isn't intending to be a political sermon. I think, there is, I think there shouldn't be any category for a political sermon. My intention is not to try to get anybody to uh, question the way they voted uh, or to sort of uh, confess or repent of the way that they voted. My intention is not to do that. But my intention this morning is to help us to think through these things with a Christian worldview, to help us to think through these things through the lens of the Scriptures, and hence why I felt compelled to preach this morning on the providence of God. So, to help us to think about the providence of God, here's a working definition. And this, this definition, again, from, uh, from John MacArthur's Systematic Theology. But God's providence is God's preserving His creation, operating in every event in the world, and directing the things in the universe to his appointed end for them. Let me read that one more time. God's providence is God's preserving his creation, operating in every event in the world, and directing the things in the universe to his appointed end for them. So that is the providence of God, and we see this providence in the scriptures. And so my aim this morning is to just give you two points. The first, the providence of God defended. Where do we get the providence of God in the scriptures? If I were to ask all of you, perhaps all of you might say that, yes, the providence of God is in the scriptures. Yes, God is providential, but where exactly do we get that in the Bible? I think it's important for us to know where we find that. And then I'll conclude by the application, the, the, the providence of God applied, what does it mean for us today, especially in light of everything that is happening in the world between coronavirus and the elections and the uncertainty about the future? What do we do with this providence of God? So first, the providence of God defended. And I will tell you uh, just from the very beginning that there's, uh, I, there's a lot of Scripture uh, passages that I will refer to or even read or just allude to and again, because I think it's important for us to see in the scriptures where we see the providence of God. So I think for clarity's sake, it's helpful to know what providence of God is not. So the providence of God is not the sovereignty of God. Those are two different things. The sovereignty of God speaks of his authority, his uh, being over all things, that he knows all things, that he is in control of all things, that there is no authority higher than God's, that no one can tell God what to do. Now, the providence of God is the sovereignty of God in application. So his authority over all creation, he exercises that authority 
through his providence, and that is governing all things to their appointed end for their own purposes, being providential over all of the universe, including your life and my life. Now, the, prov- the providence of God we see in different aspects of life and in all of creation. We see it in nature. In Matthew eight twenty three, when Jesus is with his disciples, he, Jesus gets on the boat. They go out to see Jesus goes to take a nap. And then they're in the middle of a storm. And they go to Jesus and they wake him up and say, Save us, Lord, for we are perishing. And he says to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Well, of course we're afraid, Jesus. We're in the middle of a storm. We don't want to drown and we don't want to die. That's why we're afraid. But then Jesus rose, he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? The key word there is obey. So that if Jesus calls out to the winds and the waves and tells them to be still, that they, have, that they have to do what Jesus commands them to do. They're under the obedience of God. So the Lord is providential over nature and also evil spirits. We might say that nature, will, nature doesn't have a will. Nature can, it has no choice but to follow the command of God. But what about the evil spirits? In Mark 1, 21, Jesus enters into Capernaum, and he begins teaching in the synagogue. And then it tells us in Mark 1, 21, that a man comes into the synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cries out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him, crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. So even to have a case of a man who's possessed by a demon, he comes into the synagogue and Jesus commands the unclean spirit, the demon, to come out of the man and the demon has no choice but to follow the command of the Lord. Now with the providence of God, there's also a general and a special providence. In general providence, Hebrews 1, 3 and Colossians 1, 17 tells us respectively that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and that Jesus upholds the world by the, by the word of his power. Actually, the universe by the word of his power. Colossians 1.17 tells us that Jesus was before, all, was before all things, and in him all things hold together. So Jesus, or the Lord, in his general providence of all things, he, he preserves, he keeps all things in the universe. The reason why the sun keeps rising every morning and keeps setting every evening is because the Lord wills it. It's because the Lord is in control. The reason why you are here this morning and your heart continues to pump blood is because the Lord is sustaining your life and sustaining your physical body to cause your heart to continue to pump blood throughout your system. And his special providence takes a much more narrow focus. In Ezra 6.22, the Israelites are rejoicing and they are praising God because even though they are under the, the governance of a foreign ruler, a Babylonian, yet they are rejoicing because they are allowed to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. And they recognize the fact that it is God who is the one who turned the heart 
of the king to allow the people to go back and build the temple. So God can direct the hearts of kings because he is providential. Ephesians 1 tells us that we have been predestined in love by God before the foundation of the world. Before you could ever make a decision, before you were living and breathing, that the Lord chose you before the foundation of the world, that you should be the recipient of his love through Jesus Christ. And related to that special providence, that providence includes a providence over human beings. Proverbs 16.9 tells us that the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. It's not a bad thing to plan. We should plan. We should plan for vacations. We should plan for time off. We should plan our days. This is what my day is going to look like. But at the end of the day, if your plans go the way that you intend them to go, to go it's because the Lord established those plans. The Lord established your steps. Or if, the, if your plans don't go the way that you expect them to go, it's because the Lord Establish those steps, and for whatever reason, for reasons you may never know, had intended that your plans actually don't come to fruition. In the scriptures, there's no such thing as chance. Proverbs 16.33 tells us that the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Right, so somebody may cast the die and hope that it will land in the way that would be most favorable to them. But at the end of the day, the one who, who determines the way that, that, that those die land is the Lord. So a person can go into a casino and gamble his earnings and make double what he went in with. We might call that chance. We might call that luck. But at the end of the day, it is because the Scriptures tell us the Lord, for whatever reason, leaves his only known to him, establish that person's steps and cause that person to earn or to not earn, you're not working for it, <laughs> but to whatever, gain more than what he had when he came in. Or the other way, right? the person comes in gambling his money and loses everything. Is it because of chance? No, it's because for whatever reason, the Lord had determined that this person would lose his earnings. And the providence of God is also exercised over evil. Matthew 23, 29, Jesus says to the Pharisees, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourself that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of, you, some of whom you will kill and crucify. Some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar." And why does God continue to send prophets and wise men and scribes to the, his people, to the religious teachers? Is it because he's hoping that they'll change their minds? Is it because he's taking a gamble? Is it because he's, he's taking a chance or a risk and hoping, praying maybe that they will change their minds? No. 
he continues to send the prophets and the scribes and, the, and, the, and, the, and, the, and those who speak his word, knowing that they will be persecuted, knowing that they will be crucified, knowing that they will be murdered. And Jesus tells us, it is so that on them may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth. That is, so that they, so that, in other words, it's to increase their judgment. In Luke 13, verses 1 through 5, we have this exhortation from the Lord to repent or perish. He points to what seems like a, a, a freak accident with this tower, the Tower of Siloam, that tumbles and falls upon people and they die. And the natural question at the time was, well, was it that these people sinned that they merited such a catastrophe? What did they do? And they're probably asking honestly so that we can avoid doing the same things. And Jesus says, no, that's not, you should not be, that's not the question you should be asking yourselves. That's not what matters. What matters is that you need to repent or you will perish likewise. Right in the world, right? Freak accidents happened, natural disasters happen. But we need to, everybody needs to remember, as it tells us, I think, in 1 Timothy, that the Lord does not delight in the perishing of the wicked. The Lord takes no delight. The Lord takes no pleasure in anyone dying. When Jesus Christ saw that his beloved friend Lazarus was in the tomb, he mourned because he takes no delight and even in the perishing of the wicked, and especially those whom he loves. But sometimes the Lord may use those things. There's a difference between the Lord making something to happen and the Lord permitting something to happen. In both of those cases, things happen at times in order to cause people to be introspective and to call them to repentance. And if we're talking about the providence of God over evil, then we cannot, we cannot forget about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Did the Lord know, did God know that in sending his son, that the son would be crucified? Of course he did. The scriptures tell us that Jesus was delivered up to according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Of course the Lord knew. And of course the Lord Jesus himself knew and went into the world anyway. But even though he faced hostility, even though he faced persecution, even though he faced evil in his own life, even though he faced crucifixion, the grand purpose of it all was to purchase our redemption was to bring us to himself so that we may not perish, but instead have eternal life by believing in Jesus and trusting in him and loving him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Right, so the Lord used the evil of man to lead to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ in order that you and I might be saved. And the Lord is, exercises this providence for his own purposes. We see this in Isaiah 16, 14, which tells us that the Lord has a purpose, that he has purpose concerning the whole earth, and that his hand is stretched out over all the nations. In John 9, verse 3, the, the story of the man born blind, where the disciples looked to this man and said, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus, Jesus says it was not that this man sinned, nor his parents, but he was born blind in order that the works of God might be displayed in him. 
And by the end of the story, the man comes to believe in Jesus and bows down to him. Of course, nobody would ever want to be blind. Nobody would ever wish that their child would be born blind. But Jesus tells us that this man was born blind for a specific purpose, and that is that the works of God might be displayed in him. And we see at the end of the story that this man believed in Jesus. The question is, would he have believed in Jesus if he had never been born blind? Again, going back to Lazarus. Lazarus, Jesus allowed him to die, to stay in the tomb dead for four days. And Jesus tells us that this was to show the works of God, to bring glory to God. So in all these passages, there's plenty of plenty of passages in the scriptures that point us to the providence of God. But on the other hand, God needs no defense. There's, we, God does not need anybody to come to his defense. In Deuteronomy 29, 21, 29, it tells us that the secret things belong to the Lord, but what has been revealed to us belong to us and to our children. That is that the Lord has secret purposes. He has secret things that belong to him and only to him and is only for him to know that he does not disclose to us. But what has been revealed to you, that belongs to you. What's been revealed to you is in his word that tells you who God is, how to have a right relationship with him, what he requires of us, how we are to live our lives in this world. That's what belongs to you. That's what you are called to be faithful with. The secret things are not for us to know. The secret things lead the secret things to the Lord. And we need not be concerned about them. And if you read in the scriptures, there is no prophet, there is no New Testament author, there is no Old Testament author that comes to the defense of God and says, well, this is why God did this. Or tries to explain away why God allowed this to happen. Because God does not need any defending Jesus tells the parable of a vineyard owner who goes out and seeking men to work his vineyard. And he goes out and he finds men, come and work for me and I'll give you a denarius at the end of the day. And he continues to go during the day and bring in more guys to come and work in his vineyard. And then at the end of the day, it's time to pay them their wages. And so he begins with the first guy who's been there the longest and he pays him a denarius. Then he gets all the way to the end. The guy who, say, maybe has only been there for an hour, he gives him the same wage. And then you got the guy who's been there since, let's say, 7 a.m. and says, wait, why are you paying that guy the same wage that I'm getting? I've been working here longer. He's been working here, working for an hour. And the vineyard owner doesn't feel compelled to defend himself. Essentially, he, says, he just says, I'm the vineyard owner. You agreed to work for this amount. I gave you your wage. Are you begrudging my kindness? What it is, it is his wealth, it is his vineyard to do as he pleases. And he needs not defend why he's giving one person the same wage as he does the guy who's only been working an hour. In fact, he says, you should be grateful that you even have a job to make money because of me. The Lord needs no one to come to his defense. He does not need to explain his actions in the world. He does not need to explain why the elections turned out the way that they did. But what's been revealed to us is that the Lord is providential, that he has purposes that we do not know of, and we need to 
trust in him. So that is the providence of God. We see it in the scriptures, but then what do we do with the providence of God? How is that applied to our lives? And one way I just said it, and that is to have faith. Have faith and trust in the Lord. The thing about providence is that for us, providence can only be read backwards. It's like the Hebrew Bible where you read from left to where you read from right uh, to left, which is backwards to us because we leave, read left to right. The providence of God to us can only be read backwards. We can only see the providence of God when we look back. When we look at Old Testament history, when we look back at our own lives and look at the events and the different things that happen in our lives and say, wow, I can see how the Lord was working providentially in my life to lead me to where I am today. But that providence, right, we, don't, we can't see into the future. Only God has that kind of knowledge. And knowledge that only belongs to Him that we need not be concerned with. It is the providence of God that led Job in 121 to say, blessed be the name of the Lord, after losing just about everything, losing his, his wealth, losing his family, save his wife, save, losing his health. Obviously, it's not, the point, uh, not to the point of death. And he's able to say, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He says that because he knows that God has purposes that he, is, that he is carrying out, even in calamity, even in disaster, even when things don't go the way that we want them to go. And what's helpful for us now, because this is the promise that Job didn't have back then, but we have this promise today, and that's in Romans chapter 9, that tells us that God works everything for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So even... If things in the world don't go the way that we want them to, even if the elections don't go the way that we want them to go, even if, if disaster strikes in our lives, we have this promise in Scripture that tells us that God is working all things in your own personal life for your good. Now, how you define good may not be the same way that God defines good, but regardless, His purpose is good for your good. Trusting in the providence of God not only helps us to have faith and trust in the Lord, but it also helps us to respond in a Christ-like manner. Remember the story of Joseph who was sold by his brothers to slavery in Egypt. So working there in servitude and then was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, thrown into prison until finally he ended up becoming the second person to Pharaoh. Now, it's easy for somebody like Joseph. It's easy for us. I mean, we would do it as well if we were in his shoes and say, where is God's providence? Why am I here? Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening in the world? God, where are you? And then when his family comes, his brothers come, and they recognize each other and embrace each other, but then their father dies, and then the brothers are thinking, Joseph is going to take his vengeance upon us. But Joseph doesn't get back at them. Instead, he says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. So that you and the lives of many people in the world may be spared. He responds in a godly way because he looked back at the providence of God. This was evil. You intended it for evil. I went through all these things, all of these hardships, all this tragedy, not knowing if I will ever see my family again. 
And God was using those events and your ill intentions in order to bring about a good. So trusting in the providence of God helps us to respond in a Christ-like manner rather than being angry and frustrated and taking it out on others. When we trust in the providence of God, we are filled instead with peace and trust. Psalm 23, right? You're familiar with this passage. The psalmist says, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. So even if you're walking in the middle of the dark, not a light to see, hemmed in by these large, large walls, there is nothing to fear because the Lord is with you. The safest place for the disciples to be when the middle of the storm was in that boat because they were with Jesus. And as long as you are with Christ, no matter what is happening in the world, you're in the safest place. There is nothing, absolutely nothing to be afraid of. As we trust in the providence of God, we are called to fear God and keep his commandments. This is what the, the, the writer of Ecclesiastes came, this is what he concluded with at the end of his book. This is the whole duty of man, to fear God and keep his commandments, to live a life of honor unto God, to honor him, to revere him, to respect him, to submit to him, to obey him and keep his commandments. At the end of the day, no matter what happens in the world, no matter who is president, that commandment never changes. We are called to simply continue to fear God and keep his commandments. In addition, right, we're called to be faithful. First Thessalonians tells us that this is the will of God, your sanctification, that each one of you know how to conduct his own body in purity. No matter what happens in the world, this is what you're called to do. You're called to obey his commandments. And notice in the commandments of the New Testament... All these one another commands to love one another, serve one another, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, to preach the gospel, to forgive one another. Those things don't change no matter what times you're living in. And this is, and many of those commandments are coming in the context of the Christians living in the, under the Roman Empire with somebody like Nero who was persecuting and killing Christians. And Peter and the apostles are still telling the, 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 the Christians to continue to love God. Be faithful to one another, serve one another, love one another. That doesn't change. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, Romans 12 tells us, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That still applies today, no matter what. And when we trust in the providence of God, we can rest. Where there's might be a day or even a short or even a long season where it's, where it's, where it's begun with a, a clear, blue, sunny sky. Everything was fine. Everything was great. And then all of a sudden, life becomes engulfed with these ominous, dark clouds. And then the winds begin to pick up. They become strong. They become fierce. You hear the thunder. You see the flashes of lightning. You begin to question, why is this happening? You begin to question, where is God? But if you could ascend high enough above those dark clouds to the firmament above, you would see that the sun is still in the sky and that everything is just calm and tranquil above those dark clouds. And that's what the providence of God is like. 
that even though it might seem like a storm down here, up above, everything is under control. God is still sovereign. God is still providential. God knows what is happening. And he's directing all things for his own glorious purposes. When we trust in the promise of God, then we can rest and not be filled with anxiety or fear. Now, to bring us back to Genesis 22, I want to read that passage again. Genesis 22, verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now remember, this is the promised son, the son of his old age, the son that Abraham loved. And now he is called the sacrifice. Abraham's in the middle of a storm. So Abraham rose early in the morning, settled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. And he took his, in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, My father! And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood. But where's the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. That word for provide there in the passage in the Hebrew means see. But it's not like our seeing. Then normally when we see something, it doesn't always lead to action. Like say you are walking in the middle of the hallway in the church and you see a candy wrapper on the floor. You might see it, but you may continue to walk by and forget about it instead of taking action and picking it up and throwing it in the trash. Or you might go into your kitchen and see a, 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 a dish sink full of dirty dishes, but you don't want to do anything about it at that time, so you continue to go about your day. You might see some kind of injustice, something, maybe somebody being robbed at night in the middle of the street, and you continue to walk by in that sense, you don't take any action, right? We have a tendency to see things and, take, and not take any action, but that is not the way that God is. He sees and he responds. He sees and he acts. And that is what is his passage is actually in, in, inherently telling us. It's kind of the English saying that we say that I'll see to it or you see to it. As when we say that, we're saying, oh, we'll take responsibility for it. I'll take care of this so that you don't have to take care of it. I'll take care of this so you don't need to be concerned your, with your, or you don't have to be concerned about it. That's what we mean when we say, I'll see to it. Or we're telling somebody, you see to it. And this is the idea here, that God will see to it himself. That God will provide for himself a lamb for the burnt offering, my son. This is what the, essentially what the providence of God means for us. That God sees and God responds. That God takes action. 
He does not, he's not like us where he sees something and forgets about it. But he is orchestrating things. He's ordaining things for his own glorious purposes. Again, purposes that we may never understand or know. But we know that the Lord has the purpose. The Lord will see to it. You may be confused about the elections. You may be filled with fear and anxiety about what will happen the next year or the next four years. But God will see to it. You may have a difficult year personally in your own life for whatever reason. You may wonder what is happening in your life, but God will see to it. God will take care of your life. You may come to a point where you don't know how things will happen in the world. You don't know what it's, what's, what's going to happen, say, to uh, religious freedom. We don't know what's going to happen to the things that we enjoy in this life, what's going to happen to the state of the family, what's going to happen to the state of the unborn in the womb, what are all these things. There's not just things for us to be concerned with, things to be praying about, but at the end of the day, God will see to it. God is taking care of it so that we need not worry ourselves about it. He is caring for us. He's caring for you in your own personal life. He is caring over the events of the world. They may not go the way that we think that they should. But the scriptures tell us that God is seeing to it. He's taking care of it. And we need only to trust him. And when we trust him, we can rest. So I'd like to, before we conclude with a couple of songs, I want to spend some time together in prayer with in light of the providence of God and praying for us, praying for our country as well. So if you would, please bow your heads with me. Lord, you are, you are sovereign. You are the one who is in authority over all things. All things belong to you. But that sovereignty would mean nothing if you were not also providential because you are sovereign, because you have all power, you use, you exercise that sovereignty over all things, including human events, including our own personal lives, including the decisions we make for your own glorious purposes. God, that we cannot wrap our minds around these things. We cannot fully understand what it means to make our decisions that we are free to make. And at the same time, knowing that you are sovereign, knowing that you are providential over our decisions, knowing that you know the decision that I'm going to make before I know it, before I make that decision. But the scriptures never try to defend those things. The scriptures never try to reconcile those two things. It just presents to us these two realities. That you are sovereign, that you are providential, and that we have the freedom to make decisions and that they somehow work together. And that you even work the things that are evil in the world for your own purposes and even for our good. Lord, we come to you this morning knowing and affirming that you are good, that you are sovereign, that you are providential, that you do as you please. And even though there is evil in the world and we cannot understand it and we cannot understand why it's permitted to happen, but we do know, God, 
that you are under, have all these things under control. Lord, and if you were to eradicate all evil, that would include the eradication of all human beings because you are not the problem of evil. We are the problem of evil. There's evil in the world because of sin, and sin is in us. So we thank you, Lord, for sparing the world, for saving your people through Jesus Christ. We thank you for working all things together for the good of those who love you, who are called according to his purpose, to your purpose even the things that are evil in the world, the things that happen even to our own lives, you use those things for the good of those who love you. Lord, help us to trust you. Help us to rest in you. Help us to to take our cares, our burdens, our anxieties, our fears, our frustrations to your hands and that you may replace them with your peace. Help us to trust you. Help us to confide in you. Lord, and we pray for our country. We pray that your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. We pray that you would orchestrate all things for your glorious purposes. We pray, Lord, but we do pray. We pray, we plead that you would protect the laws, regulations, the policies, everything that leads to human flourishing and not the destruction of that flourishing, not the destruction of that freedom. We pray, Lord, for the protection of children, for the protection of the family, for the protection of the unborn. We pray for the protection of religious freedom. But we also know that what we consider to be good may not be what you consider to be good because you have the full picture and we don't. So help us to trust you and help us to be faithful each and every day with what we are called to be faithful with in our jobs, in our families, with our church. Those things never change. So help us to be faithful in these ways to your glory. We pray all of these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ who conquered sin and death on our behalf, who conquered evil on our behalf who is now reigning at the right hand of God, seated above the heavens, who even now is upholding the universe by the word of his power and is exercising that sovereignty and that providence over our lives in a unique and special way as his children, as the brothers and sisters of Christ. We pray to this Jesus. In his name, amen.
As we sing this next song, meditate on the words that we're singing, and may this be the true prayer of our hearts as we ask the Lord for these things. Still I'm 
As we come to our time of benediction, go forth with these truths.
God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams makes glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the wondrous works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Brothers and sisters, over this coming week, be still and know that he is God. Be still and know that he holds the world in his hands. Be still and know that it's all under his control and we can just rest in that. You are dismissed until we return again, Lord willing.